0: Well, we're going to turn to the Bible now, and um, I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to ask that God would help us. We believe that this is a book that God, by his Spirit, wrote, and therefore we need his help to understand it. So we're going to ask that he'd help us. Heavenly Father, thank you this afternoon for all that we've been singing about. Thank you for this amazing book of Mark. And we pray you'd help us this afternoon uh, to understand something new, to understand something of what this message um, is all about. Father, please would you teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Do you you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of your drum, there's a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Look, even if you're not a fan of Les Mis, it's stirring stuff, isn't it? It's a song of revolution. It's a song that speaks of hope. It's a song that speaks of change. It's a song that speaks of tomorrow. And there's something in all of us that loves revolution. There's something in all of us that craves it. And that is why someone like Rosa Parks, who in 1955 on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to give up her seat to a white woman, we hail her as a hero. Because she set in motion a revolution. And we honor women like that. It is throwing off the shackles. It is throwing off the things that bind and striving for a better world. A world of hope. We crave it. Our hearts beat to that rhythm. That is why this afternoon I am so convinced that Jesus is good news for our world. Because I, I want you to make no mistake about it that what we have in Mark chapter 1 is the start of a revolution. Just look again at Mark chapter 1 verse 15. And we're going to focus our time just on this one sentence. Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That is a revolution song, that is an anthem and it would be easy to miss it on the pages in black and white but this is a revolution that we need to hear. You know, Many have tried to silence this song, many have tried to to snap out, to smash this song out of existence, from the religious elite of Jesus' day who tried to silence the song, to the communist regime in China who tried to silence the song, to the atheists of a previous generation who tried to silence this song and yet the song still sings and it will not be silenced. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And we're going to examine this revolutionary statement to try to understand it. I want you to understand this revolution and then I want you to hear the call to get on board, to join this revolution. So let's just take that statement. It's a very short sermon that Jesus preached. Let's face it. There are four bits. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're just going to work our way through it and try and take those statements, here's the first thing, look, the time has come. By the way, just to explain the image in case you're confused, because now you're not listening because you're all looking at the image going, oh, this interesting. This is an image that we uh, asked someone in the church to do. Someone in the church produced this image. And this is an image of John the Baptist. Um, We asked someone to draw a picture of John the Baptist. And this is an image of John the Baptist And it captures that sense of revolution, right? It captures that sense of something's happening. He eats locusts. That's why he's got a locust in his hand. But we'll get to the locusts. The time has come. Here's the thing. Jesus did not just appear out of the blue. He did not arise from nowhere. This is a revolution that has been a long time in planning. This is a revolution that you can trace right back into the mists of history. This is a revolution that has been prepared, that has been spoken of. I think many people don't realise that the Bible is one story. From beginning to end, it's all one story. I think people assume that the Bible is like random little sayings that you can open and you just go, oh, that's a nice little thought. No, the Bible is a story, one story, God's story, the story of God and his world from beginning to end. And this statement, the time has come, drives us back in history to say, what time? What time does Jesus talk about? And we need to wind back. And let me make a big claim. The story of the Bible is not very complicated. I want to try and tell you the, the whole story of the Bible, and it's not difficult, it's the story of two revolutions. First, we need to wind back. I need to show you the first revolution in the Bible. So this is where it starts. Come back with me in your minds to the very beginning, to the very beginning of the Bible where we're told that in the beginning there was God and God spoke and he created a world. He created a world of freedom and joy. The thing that marked the world that God made was life. There was a tree of life, there was a river of life, there was life everywhere. That's what marked this world, this kingdom, the kingdom of God. Where God was the loving king and the rightful ruler of all, a kingdom of peace and justice. But humanity had a better idea, this is the first revolution. We set up an alternative kingdom. A world where we ruled rather than God. It seemed like such a good idea. It seemed like the way to be free. If we could just get rid of God, if we could throw off the shackles, if we could get rid of him, then perhaps we could rule. Will you join in a crusade to set us free from God the King? If we ascend his throne, then we'll be gods of everything. So join in a fight. Take hold of your rights. Let's be free. That was the first revolution song. I will be king. We will be king. I will rule. This is the song that humanity sang. And it established a new kingdom. The kingdom of the world. God has been overthrown. We've done it. We've got ourselves free from him. It seems so wise and so good. I mean who wouldn't want to be God of their own life. Except there's a problem. You know the problem? You can't overthrow God. Because he's God. He created all things. With a word, he created all things. He's all powerful. He knows all things. You can't overthrow him. You just can't. He still rules. His kingdom still rules. He's still on the throne. And therefore the kingdom of the world became not a kingdom of joy and freedom, it became a kingdom of death. That was God's punishment on the world. So now you have two kingdoms, right? You have the kingdom of God, the place of life and peace and justice and joy and freedom. And you have the kingdom of the world, And this explains the experience that so many of us have in this world. All of us have in this world. We still enjoy some good things. We still enjoy some freedom. We still smile. We still laugh. But over all of it, there's a shadow. A dark shadow. Because we know that death is looming. And it spoils this world. Now, of course, you can just shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's just the way things are. You could live your life, and this is what we're encouraged to do, right? This is what the atheist will tell you to do. It's just the way it is. Get over it. But come on. Surely you feel within yourself a frustration. Surely you find yourself raging against... Death itself raging against the, the darkness. Surely you know what it is to feel that frustration. So here it is. What if you were made for another kingdom? What if the yearning that you feel, what if the frustration you feel is not just a kind of, I'll just accept it, but is actually a yearning for something else. What if you're longing for is a kingdom that you were actually made for? Let me try and um, explain what I'm getting at here. And uh, I I really hope this helps rather than hinders. Um, I'm going to use a Disney film called Moana. Um, Now, Moana is a terrific film. Um, And I'm going to explain why it's a terrific film. Moana uh, lives on an island. How many people have seen this before I explain all this? Great, wonderful, well done, you're very wise. Uh, Moana lives on an island and this is what she's constantly told by all the people on the island her dad's the chief, obviously and uh, they're told you must not leave the island the ocean is dangerous, you must stay on the island and they're told you just have to accept it but the problem is that Moana feels something different she yearns for the ocean see the line where the sky meets the sea? calls me and no one knows how far it goes do you hear the language it's fascinating this is what she sings if i i'd be satisfied if i play along but the voice inside sings a different song what is wrong with me she says why am i not satisfied to stay on the island why do i yearn for the ocean and then she discovers the truth that that's who she truly is. Her people are an ocean-going people. That's their heritage. That's who they are. But there was a terrible accident at sea and therefore they have constrained themselves on the island and now they live under this restriction of the island where they're told you just have to accept it. You just have to accept it. And yet the ocean calls her. And I want to suggest that is your experience of living in this world. We live in a world where we're told you just have to accept it. It's just the way things are. What if it's not? What if there is a kingdom that you were made for? What if there is a kingdom of joy and life and freedom and beauty that you were made for and that the yearning you feel is because that's what you were made for? And we're constantly told just accept it. Don't don't listen. Just accept that death is the end. No. I want to say let's rage against the Well, I don't want to say that. That's what Jesus means when he says, the time has come. You see, in this story of the two kingdoms, God is not finished. In one sense, God could have just wiped out the kingdom. The world said, well, forget you, let's leave it. But God is too bursting with love to stop there. So God plans, and this is so beautiful, God plans a counter-revolution. And he begins to whisper the song to get people ready. And through the pages of the Bible, he whispers it. He sends messenger after messenger with one consistent message. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will rule. And then I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. And he was given all glory, authority, and sovereign power, and a kingdom that will never end. Rejoice. Rejoice greatly. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. But you, Bethlehem, though you are the least among all the people, out of you will come for me a ruler. Do you not hear it? Over and over again, the message is sung. There's a revolution coming. There's a king coming, and he will bring the kingdom. And the final messenger that God sends is this man called John the Baptist. Look down your Bibles. Look at verse 2. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And John the Baptist is the last in the line of messengers. And as each of the messengers has sung the song, they sing it slightly louder and they sing it slightly clearer. And in verse 8, look what uh, verse says. seven look what John says this was his message what is the great message of John the Baptist after me will come the one after me comes the one who's more powerful than I he's nearly here John the Baptist says It's been 400 years since God last spoke to Malachi. It's been 400 years of waiting. People are giving up. People are losing hope. And then suddenly in the desert, a voice pierces the Galilean air and says, after me, he's coming. He's so nearly here. Then you get verse 14. After John. See it? After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come. (laughs) This couldn't be clearer, what Jesus is saying. It's all me. Everything that God has been promising, now is the time. This thing that you've been waiting for for thousands of years, now is the counter-revolution. This is it. God has not forgotten. God has not abandoned his people. This is it. We have to see that Jesus is not just another bloke who turns up with a bright idea. He has been promised for thousands of years. And suddenly he comes. Well, what's he come to do? Well, let's look at the second thing. The kingdom of God has come near. Here's the revolution. This is it. This is the song. The kingdom of God has invaded earth. So here comes the kingdom of God invading, pushing into the enemy kingdom of the world. But this is unlike any other invasion you've ever seen before. Because normally when one kingdom invades another kingdom, it's a hostile invasion, right? It's an invasion to destroy the enemy. But when the kingdom of God comes into the kingdom of the world, what you see is an act of breathtaking love. We must not miss this. And perhaps this is what makes this revolution so unique and so powerful. Jesus does not come to destroy his enemies. He comes to save them. He does not come to punish them. He comes to forgive them. It's a revolution of love. Do you see that in John the Baptist? John the Baptist was not a great military leader. If you're, if you're going to tr- attempt a coup to bring about a revolution in a country, John the Baptist is not your man. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's just not impressive. He's never done any harm to anyone, apart from some locusts. The weapon of this revolution is not violence and force. What's the weapon? It's baptism. Isn't that weird? I'm going to start a revolution. What are you going to do? Well, people are going to come. Here's the plan. I've got a plan. This is what we're going to do. You come here, come in the river. In the river? It's wet. Come here. What are we going to do now? I'm going to push you underwater. You're going to do what? This is is the plan. This is the revolution. (coughs) What is that? This is the revolution. Because in this moment of baptism, what you see is that Jesus has come to wash his people clean. Jesus has come to deal with the rebellion of the rebel kingdom. And I don't know if you're following the story at all, but if you follow it, do you you not see that it's really weird that then Jesus goes to get baptised? So here comes Jesus, the great revolutionary leader sent from heaven itself. He comes into the world and the first thing we're told he does is he goes underwater. Why? Because in that one moment you see what Jesus' revolution is going to do. You see what he's come to do. This is what he's come to do. He's come to stand with his with the rebel people, with the people who have rejected God as king. He's come to stand with them and to go under the water, to go under death itself, to experience the dark shadow of death so that the shadow that casts its shadow over all of humanity actually is going to fall on Jesus. That's what baptism means. He goes under the water of death and then rises to new life. And Jesus says, this is my revolution. I'm come to be baptized for you. I've come to die. That's where the revolution is heading. And you follow the story of Jesus all the way through the gospel and his baptism at the start as heaven is torn open and the Love descends on him. It culminates in the moment when he dies on the cross and heaven is torn open as the curtain in the temple is opened and God himself is now available because the kingdom of God has come near to the kingdom of earth and this man came to die to do it. This is not like a revolution you've ever seen before. Jesus in his baptism shows us a little taste of what he's going to do to bring the kingdom of God near. Now if you're tracking with this at all, that means that now it is possible for you to experience this kingdom of God. That is to live in the place that you were created to live. To live in the place of freedom to live in a place of peace, to live in a place of forgiveness, of joy, a place of life. That's what he came to give you. That's the counter-revolution. The first revolution was when humanity rebelled. The counter-revolution is when heaven came and said, I'm coming to save you. Well, what's the response? We'll look at the final thing. Repent and believe. If this is all true, it becomes crystal clear that you need to do something. It is not enough for us to sit here and go, oh, that's very interesting. If this is true, something needs to change. And to repent means to say, you know, I, I, I got it wrong. I, I, those are such hard words to say, aren't they? To admit you got something wrong. To admit that perhaps the way I've been living my life is wrong. To admit that perhaps I was created for a God who loves me. Who sent his very son to die to say It's tough to admit that. This is what keeps many, many people out of the kingdom of God. They just will not admit they were wrong. I remember having a conversation with an old man. He lived his whole life. And I explained to him the message and I think he believed it was true. But he just said, I can't. I can't admit that I've lived, I can't turn my back on everything I've lived for. He was a Hindu. And he said, I can't turn to Jesus. I'll pay for my own sin. And I want to say to you this afternoon, don't let your pride stop you from enjoying the kingdom of God. That Jesus died on a cross to win for you. Repent. Change your mind. Admit that you were wrong. Turn to him and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I live my life wrong. I'm sorry. But you don't just repent and then go, oh, I'm so rubbish. Look at it. You repent because you believe the good news. You believe, you take hold, you embrace, you entrust, you grab hold of it and say, this is good. There's a famous tightrope walker called Charles Blondin who used to set up a tightrope across um, Niagara Falls. Staggering. He used to walk backwards and forwards across Niagara. And one day he got a wheelbarrow and he pushed the wheelbarrow across. And everyone cheered, crowds of people cheering this man as he pushed the wheelbarrow. And he he said, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across the Niagara? And everyone's going, yeah, of course we believe. And he said, who'll get in the wheelbarrow? And one man said, I will. He was the one who believed, right? He got in the wheelbarrow. And I reckon there may be many people in this room who kind of know all this stuff. And perhaps even most people think, oh yeah, I think they're a a Christian, whatever. But you've never really got in the wheelbarrow. You've never really said to Jesus, have it all. I entrust everything to you. I want to be part of your kingdom with everything that I am. And this afternoon, Jesus, he preaches this message to you. He sings this song to you. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe. Trust me. It's that simple. You turn to him and say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. So where do you stand this afternoon? This is a revolution. Everybody in this room either belongs to the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. Everybody. And this afternoon, Jesus calls you. He invites you. He commands you. He calls you. He declares, come. Come to the revolution. Come be part of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this afternoon that you have whispered and whispered this message for thousands of years, that you promised that one would come, and then he came. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you that Jesus, you have brought the kingdom of God near It's here, it's in this world that we can now enjoy and experience the kingdom of God. And that one day we will experience that fully. Father, please help us to understand. And we pray that we might get in the wheelbarrow, that we might believe. We might trust ourselves to this king. That we might give up on trying to be king of our own lives and that we might fall at the feet of this king and worship him. In Jesus' name. Amen.